You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Heckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Elise Keith, and she is co-founder of Lucid Meetings. She's author of Where the Action Is, The Meetings That Make or Break Your Organization. She's known as the meeting maven. I'm excited about this, to geek out on meetings and meeting discussion and how to make more effective meetings and how to make sure that people are using meetings in the right way, uh, the right port in the organization. With that, Elise, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled that you're ready to geek out on meetings. (laughs) You know, I I think there's some stats out there that, you know, there's something like 50 million meetings happening every day in the U.S. or something. I can't, I should figure out what it is. During this episode, there'll be some millions of meetings happening and I'm sure not, not all of them particularly well run. So hopefully, hopefully we can talk a little bit about how to help people with meetings. But before we dig into meetings, let's learn a little bit more about you, your background, how you became the meeting maven. Tell us a little bit of the story. Yeah, right. Because because you don't go to kindergarten and say, when I grow up, I'm going to be a meeting maven, right? <laughs> exactly. Nobody does this. But I, you know, I got to say, probably most of us haven't found our passion in a way that we expected we would. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, for me, I went in, I went to college, thought I was going to be an artist, found that wasn't going to be the thing. Joined the business world and found myself in lots and lots of meetings, of course. Now, coming from an arts background, a performing arts specifically, you Mm -hmm. come from a perspective that you're going to collaborate together to hit a high quality result by a date, right? Like there's just no question that you're going to meet effectively-ish. Yeah. It's a lot of drama because, you know, let's be honest, it's, you know, theater and music. Yeah, exactly. It's the point. (laughs) But that's part of the dance. And the assumption that you're all going to pull together and you're going to make this thing happen on this date with quality is just it's a given. And then I joined the software world Mm -hmm. and I was continually faced with like, well, we can't possibly make that decision now. And well, you can have time or quality or you know, what are the other three <laughs> legs of the stool were, but you yeah, can't time, have time all quality three. It's scope. not possible. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, if we're doing Aida, you know, that's an opera. It opens on Friday and there's an elephant. Like, there's just no. <laughs> there's, no there's no way around that. Just the, right. the story does not work otherwise. It didn't make sense to me. And and as I worked through that world and saw the way that they they met all the time, but there wasn't necessarily a lot of great uh, forward momentum happening. And all of that until I had an opportunity to work with international standards organizations, the legal profession, and then worked in a company that brought in really high quality agile coaches and we adopted agile. And in each of those three worlds, they had a way in which they met that was prescribed 
right? Every week we start, we we tackle this question together as a group in a 45-minute call, and that decision is made, and we go, mm-hmm. right? And when I saw how, even though all of those rooms are, realms are very different, that when you designed the meetings to achieve your goals, everything changed. They achieved their goals. The drama went away. The confusion about how things worked went away. And And when you see that power, boy, you just can't unsee it. You just can't unsee it. And it's everywhere. So you can see it in in all of the industries across the spectrum in all sectors. There are ways in which people meet that are incredibly powerful and help them achieve results that other people can't achieve. So if you go and you read most of the current leadership literature, go read Daniel Coyle's Culture Code or, you know, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead or you know, any of a number of things. And you'll find that most of them are actually books about meetings yeah. at one level or another. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> groups of people having conversations, trying to make decisions or, or, or trying to you know, clarify a direction, uh, resolve an issue. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the essence of it. Right. And these are our values and this is what we're trying to achieve. This is how we meet. Because that meeting and designing that meeting with intention is the best way to make sure that what you want to have happen happens. Yeah. That's why I think it's so important to this audience is that, you know, I think if you look at, you know, different types of businesses, you know, service-based businesses, because, you know, you're just fundamentally dealing with, you know, people involved in the delivery of the value to customers, you know, you just end up in that sort of high meeting kind of frequency and high meeting complexity kind of, you know, if you were to do a little two by two matrix here in terms of type of businesses and, and businesses that are high meetings. I just think service-based businesses run into this all the time and they just they run into inefficiency I and mean, particularly at the, the the leadership team level as as a company grows and scales you know getting those meetings right those strategic meetings those planning meetings you know the quarterlies the annuals the, the monthlies the weeklies the dailies you know getting those getting that rhythm is is so important having you know having that checklist and having that process is you know is key to making them work so how so tell us about the book how did the book come about how how have you kind of crafted your position in in the um, meeting space and tell us more about lucid meetings okay so um, lucid meetings you know so we had this we had this red truck moment right like once once you're in the market for a red truck you see them everywhere <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> and for us the uh, for us it was the the well-designed meeting and as you mentioned right the specific sequence or the cadence of well-designed meetings being just a game changer in terms of enabling growth and scale and cohesion as you develop your businesses. And we say, okay, you know, but so many people are doing this terribly. Why might that be? And because we were software developers, we're like, okay, well, let's create a software platform that, you know, makes it easy to do the right thing, which we did. And, uh, you know, we, we got our Gartner cool vendor and, you know, it's all fabulous and lovely. So Lucid Meetings has a, we have a meeting management platform as one of our core software offerings. Mm -hmm. But one of the things we discovered was that, you know, software is a technology, it's a tool and like any other tool, you kind of have to have some skills to be able to use it. You know, you yeah. don't you don't put my kids behind the, you know, the wheel of the farm combine yeah. or any tractor tool. They're not equipped. Yeah. So we had a lot of people coming to us who are trying to have software solve their meeting problem. And then they get kind of frustrated. They're like, well, I've got an agenda, but we still run like terrible meetings. And it's like, well, yes, you do. So let's back up here and, and look at what you're trying to achieve and how meetings are fitting into your business and what how, how many you should be having and all of that. And started doing research and publication and writing and consulting. And after several years of doing that, that's where I finally pulled that together into the book. So that's when that came out. Got it. Yeah. And what's your take? I mean, but, I, there's there's a lot of 
meeting haters out there, <laughs> meeting meeting bashing going on out there in terms of you know there should we should just have less meetings, you know we just shouldn't be meeting anymore. I mean, I guess you know what's your kind of do you have a heuristic or a guideline for companies or for for leaders inside companies in terms of how many meetings is two meetings, how many how long you know how long is a meeting that's gone too long? I mean, what what are your kind of heuristics around some of these things? So um, I think the I think the key to all of that is is a mindset shift right at the beginning, you know, because because you're right, like a lot of people approach meetings as if there should be a simplistic answer, you know, there should be some kind of rule, right? You know, meetings are a waste of time. Why should I have to deal with them? And, and you can see this sweep through companies, that, especially as they hit that growth curve. Yeah. Like Slack went through a big growth curve and they found that they were meeting all the time mm-hmm. and they weren't clear why. So they canceled all their meetings. <laughs> yeah. And that's a it's a really common thing to do. But it's it's like saying, my goodness gracious, we've gotten a little overweight here. Let's stop eating. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then and then we'll see if food comes back. But probably we don't need it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that's a great way to like encourage the quick everybody run to McDonald's because I'm starving. You know, it's 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 not designed with intention. So what we found is that in every single industry, there is there is a sequence of meetings you can design that achieve goals. So the question about how many meetings should you be running and how often and all of that has to do with what you're trying to achieve. And what we found in our research was that, you know, when we looked across all those industries and took out all those patterns, there were 16 distinct types of meetings. Okay. And when you learn what those are, like a problem-solving meeting is good for, you know, mm-hmm. take give you one guess, solving <laughs> problems. <Exactly. laughs> right? It's not a great meeting for brainstorming. It's not a great meeting for, you know, contract negotiation or building trust and, you know, uh, goodwill with your company yeah. as its primary goal. Its goal is to solve a problem. Yeah. So it sounds like a lot, of, a lot yeah. of the problems are that people people are just not using the right kind of meeting format or meeting structure to accomplish the goal. Or, or I mean, probably some of the problem is they don't even have the goal. But <laughs> assuming they have a goal is then picking the <laughs> right structure to use to, to effectively address the goal from a meeting format format point of view. Absolutely. And and then once you can see that there are these distinct types of meetings, right, then you can put them together in sequence. It's a puzzle. So yeah. you talked about the strategic meeting rhythm. Mm-hmm. So this is a thing that, you know, leadership teams adopt that help them figure out how to set their strategy. And then once they've got a strategy, how to make sure that they're executing towards that strategy, <laughs> not just executing in general. Yep. Yeah. And that that strategy stays fresh, right? So exactly. as as they learn more about the universe, they they understand that strategy gets you know put into line with what they now believe about the universe. Mm-hmm. And there's a very specific sequence of meetings you can run at a very specific time and date. And all together, like one of the most popular downloads on our website is a packet that says, "Here's how to run those four meetings exactly and how long they should take." And you know, we find when people pick that up, they will go from doing things like we hate meetings. So we only have one meeting with our leadership team every three weeks and it goes for five hours and we hate each other. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> you <know>? I would too. <laughs> or, you know, but they try they're trying to reduce meetings. So they just they only do one and it's long. And yeah. uh, we teams that like meet in and out every day, all day. Yeah. They pick up this pattern and I'm sure you're familiar with the pattern very much like that. And they find that they're using less than 10 percent of their work time 
to set their strategy and manage to that strategy. Mm -hmm. So well-designed in sequence, it's incredibly efficient and enormously powerful because you're no longer guessing, right? You're no longer guessing how are we going to decide what to do. It's interesting. You mentioned agile before, and I think that there's a principle that I will often use when I'm working with, you know, with leadership teams on on their meeting schedules and they kind of complain about, oh yeah, well, we do a quarterly or we do a monthly meeting and it's really hard. We don't like it, you know, so, you know, we don't want to do monthlies anymore. We just want to do quarterlies. And I kind of tell them the story of, of Agile and kind of the principle of if something is hard and difficult, you should do it more often. Meaning that, <laughs> meaning that you're, part of the problem is, is that you're, because it's, you know, if you just push it off, if, you, if you're releasing code once a month and it's hard and painful and you decide you're only going to release code once a quarter so that you don't have to go through that pain, you're actually, you're kind of burying the problem. You're just pushing the problem off. And instead, you know, you should be releasing code, you know, every week or every day, you know, and forcing yourself to get better at it. And I think the same thing is true with these meetings is that if meetings are hard, you should do them more frequently, shorter, but with more intention and more focus and more clarity because that's what's going to drive meeting performance is, is doing it more frequently and, and that's going to force you to be better at it. And I think that's it's a concept that I kind of pulled over from Agile into the leadership teamwork that I do. I'm just kind of curious and because I know you've got some you know software background. Do you see sort of similarities in that kind of process improvement of philosophy in the, in the meeting practices? Well, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, so you take that same one and it's common in Agile, right? So you've got a, a daily or at most a weekly check-in in the Agile teams. Because anytime where your interdependence is high and the rate of change is high, you need to exchange information more often. So, you know, there are times when you can go a month or two months, but that's when you're doing like international committee work. (laughs) You you don't actually work together and you don't actually care if the project's done for three years, right? Like that's when you can afford that. Yeah, and I think you hit it, which is the, is what is the pace of change or what is the rate of change either that the environment or the context that you're operating in or that you want to be driving and the faster you want to change, the more you want to meet. I have leadership teams that do daily huddles. I mean, they're, they're doing five-minute stand-ups with the whole leadership team, you know, if not every day, at least two, three times a week. We do that. We do our daily huddle as an asynchronous huddle. So there are yeah. other ways. Once you realize the function of that, you can um, you can move it around. So you can design it to work for your environment. So in our case, we're a remote team and we do ours in, in our, you know, our chat app and everybody checks in. Yep. But we don't lose that cadence. We don't lose that check-in rhythm. So yeah. when you look in, that with that speed of innovation idea in other domains, you know, if you go look at people who are doing emergency response or tactical military work, mm-hmm. they have an action review process, which anybody who's done software will know is a retrospective. Oh, yes. yep. And the more intense the situation, the more often they'll run them. So there are teams that will run their action reviews hourly. Yeah, yeah. Just and looking at what happened over the last hour. What do we learn? What do we need to do differently? How do we reorient? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's a five minute meeting, but it's if you want to rapidly learn and impact change, you don't meet less. Yeah. You meet more with greater intention, greater focus and greater skill. But even on the customer service perspective, right? So what's easier, right? Selling to a customer that's already bought from you or selling to a new one? Engaging a customer, re-engaging a customer you've lost touch with or having a great conversation with a customer you talk with on a regular basis? Yeah. I think probably in the coaching world, right, if you've got coaching clients that you don't talk to every two, three months, that's probably a more challenging 
situation than the coaches, clients you have a weekly check-in with. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right? That rate of well-designed meetings makes a big difference. Yeah. When you talked a little bit about uh, doing asynchronous meetings and stuff like that, and I think there's the idea that once you get good, or once you kind of figure out the basics, there's lots of ways that you can kind of evolve and adapt and, you know, kind of change the formats to fit your situation. I generally suggest to most of the teams that I'm working with is that we kind of start with the basics. <laughs> we start mm-hmm. We start with the basics model uh, and then we can kind of build up the options it's kind of a a shuhari you know approach to to meetings like you you need to learn the basic moves and you know and and those in martial arts know the shuhari it's like you need to learn the basic moves and then you put the together in patterns and then you can start you know figuring out new combinations that maybe you know uh are are unique to situation stuff but getting the basic agendas right getting the basic process right getting people trained Uh, i talk about training people on meetings you know and then and then once they once they figure that out, then you can start to do the after action reviews, you do the retrospectives, you do the process improvement, figure out how to make them better and, and evolve your particular mode. But you have to understand those principles first. Well, so that's uh, completely true. And what we found, so we did, one of the things we did research into while we were writing the book was what were what were organizations doing that were really, really successful with their meetings? And what did that look like as they became more and more successful? So basically, we outlined kind of a, a performance maturity model. Ooh, nice. And, you know, there's a there's a free diagnostic on our website. So you can go and take it and, you know, see how your how your organizational practices line up with, you know, the best of the best in the world. But the reality is, is that while the farther up you get into executive and leadership kind of roles, the more likely it is that you'll spend most of your time meeting at work. Right. Like meetings are how leaders lead most of the time. But fewer than 25% of the folks in the leadership capacity in the U.S. at least have any training of any kind. Yeah. Every business MBA student should have a course <laughs> designed for oh. how to design and run effective meetings. Absolutely. It's a, it's sort of a weirdly criminal sort of oversight, isn't it? Like, yeah. we're going to have all of our leaders spend all of their time doing this, but we shan't train them. And we do know that half of that time is totally wasted. Mm. Like, can you imagine if any of our other production processes... Uh, had a margin of error of 50% or greater. <laughs> we were just like, sure, yeah, let's go for it. No uh, problem. Yeah. yeah, but that's what that's what it is. So often when an organization actually goes, oh, wow, we need to do this, and they come to work with us, we do a quick start process, which is very much about like, okay, let's figure out where you are, you know, map out your meetings in a way that you start to see them for the system they are, as opposed to, you know, having that doom loop oriented gut reaction of, you know, meetings are a waste of time or I have to fix my meetings, you know, start to look and see, oh, wait a second, you know, the meeting I'm having with my clients is a very different thing than the meeting I have with my team, which is very different from the meetings I'm having with vendors. And then, you know, take some skills, training and begin to design those key pivot points. Yeah. I completely agree with you. I think once you get onto it and seeing what those systems are, you can pick up off the shelf like whole meeting designs for for you know soup to nuts. Here's how we go from point A to point B on this kind of business process as a starting place. Yeah. Just start with something somebody else got great. Yeah. I mean I have, I basically I mean I basically have templates for leadership teams looking for strategy development and strategy execution that breaks down the three year meeting, the three year planning meeting 
the annual planning meeting, the quarterly planning, the monthly, the weekly, and the daily. And I just give them the library. I just say, here, here are the agendas you're going to start with. And we're not going to do them all at once. Like we start with the three-year plan, and then we go to quarterly, and then I'll do an annual, and then I'll train them monthly, and then we'll go weekly, and then we'll do daily. So I, I kind of titrate them in, but there is a standard set that they start with because it is. It's a system. I mean, I like that that idea that you mentioned that it, it, it is part of a rhythm, part of a system that has logic, has intention, and each one is quite different. And there's there's very specific things that you do and do not do in each one of those meetings. Absolutely. That's awesome. You know, we have an online gallery of all kinds of templates like that. You should work with us. Yeah. And help <laughs> us. Uh, help us. We'll, we'll spread some of your, your particular genius on that. Um, yeah. Well, it is, it's, it's fascinating because what, it, what I find is, you know, having been coming from the agile world and kind of learning that discipline of, of the iteration process and backlog and the daily standups, it just impressed upon me sort of the system nature of it. But you can apply that to any any particular kind of context or situation, whether it's, you know, a software team looking to deliver, uh, you know, code, programming code, or whether it's, uh, you know, a production team, a marketing team, a leadership team, like, it's just getting clear on what are you, what are you trying to deliver? What is the system you're trying to put in place? What are the touch points? Where do you need to get on the same page? Where do things go? Where do you need alignment? Where do you need clarity? Where do you need to prioritize? And just then figuring out how those meetings are going to solve each one of those problems. And it and making sure you're clear on what each one is. I think that's entirely true. And, you know, if it, if it's okay, I can give an example because yeah. we ran into this recently. So we were, from a software perspective, we have, you know, like I said, we do services and we do training and we do publications and all of that. But we also have this meeting management platform. And we found that it was hard to get through some of the enterprise pilot processes. Because when you get into selling software in the enterprise world, you're dealing with 97 committees. You know, the business brings you in to solve this one problem, but IT says this and procurement says that. And, you know, Sally and accounting doesn't like the color, you know, whatever it is. So there's this giant circus of monkeys to manage through success. So we sat back and we said, well, hold on a second. We're the meeting design company. Mm -hmm. Let's, Let's look at what needs to happen across that pilot process in terms of understanding how the decisions get made, um, making sure that we're staying on top of issues, making sure everybody feels supported and that we're moving towards a place of success for everybody. And we designed a meeting flow for that that laid out the 10 meetings we need to have and which sequence, how often over a four month period and designed each one of those meetings. And now when a client comes to us, they can say, well, what will this look like? And who do I need to be involved? And how do I need to plan for my time? And we can say, these are the conversations we're going to have in this order. Here's what your team needs to commit to. We need you to be able to make these kinds of decisions, you know, and we're, we're starting from a completely different place than when you walk in and you say, well, hey, you know, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Work it out. Give me your credit card number. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it, it's incredibly powerful because yeah. it's very, very clear and we never lose we never lose touch with exactly how that process is going and how they're making their decisions and how we need to adapt. Yeah. Well, and I think that idea that meeting, meetings fit into some kind of process design is key. And I think on, on the sales process, I think is is fascinating just because I think half of, if not 90% of the sales process really is about educating the customer on how to buy. Because <laughs> typically they, they, they don't know how to purchase the thing that they're trying to, that you're trying to sell them. So, you know, you can, you can talk benefits all you want, but if you haven't, if you haven't coached them on, uh, you know, what to think about, what data they need to collect, who they need to have involved, what are the criteria that they're going to use to make a decision? What does their time frame look like? Like that's, the bulk of sales. And I could see having a good set of, of meetings designed to really have the right conversation at the right time, given a process flow that you've designed is, is how 
how you're going to be successfully, not, not only successfully converting or, or getting getting through the sales process, uh, but managing it from a cost of sales point of view to make sure that you're not just dumping huge amounts of money and time and energy into sales, particularly around selling things to, to people that don't need them or, or you know, are not going to be successful clients ultimately. Absolutely. Well, and the other thing that's really fabulous about having a defined way that we, you know, and this is, this is the thing, right? When you define your meetings, what you're defining is the way that we do things. Yeah. Um, which essentially means that you are defining your culture, you're defining your approach um, to engaging each other as teams and engaging the world. But when you define the way, you can then have a place where, where as you learn going forward, you can adapt and make changes. So you're not winging it from first principles every time, right? So in our kickoff process, we have pulled in techniques that are from uh, cognitive and neuro and economical behavioral economic philosophy mm -hmm. that make those much more powerful meetings. And we had a place to pull those in as soon as we learned those techniques, right? Mm -hmm. We weren't like, oh, hey, here's a great, here's a great idea. We're like, oh, there's a great idea that I can apply in my process right here, right now. Yeah. So that was really, really powerful because I've got a thing to work on. But from a scale perspective, the other thing that's incredibly powerful about it is that I can pull on a new account manager and say, this is how you run these meetings. Yeah. And they're, you know, like I can scale my team so much faster because I have a way to bring them into. And that's that's huge yeah. because you just don't want to trust um, or just leave how everybody new in your company talks to your customers or treats your employees to chance. Yeah. And I think that's that's the secret to, you know, most of these companies that are struggling to figure out how to scale, you know, they get to a certain point and then they kind of they, they hit a ceiling. And oftentimes it's because they've got some bottleneck where some person, you know, is the holder of that piece of information or the holder of that process. And it's all in their head. And, you know, until they figure out how to unpack that and get that into a defined process and, and you know, a, a defined set of agendas and meetings and steps, timeframes, you know, it's, it's, you're just not going to move, you're not going to move that through that constraint, right? That, that is going to be a, a gating constraint for the growth of the business. And if you can start to figure out how to put these things in place. The other thing too, that I think is really important is, you know, having those meetings well documented and, you know, having the agenda and the process documented, it's almost impossible to do process improvement on these kind of activities on kind of knowledge work without having some kind of, well, th this is the way we do it. And then we can reflect back on, okay, well, what's working, what's not, or what outcomes do we have and what were desirable or undesirable? Well, what, what do we do that contributed to that? Well, if we don't have the agenda, if we don't, if there was no agenda to it, it it's it, it's nearly impossible to then go back and say, all right, well, let's try it this way or let's change what we're doing here. Or let's ask this question first and then that question, you know, that you, you have no basis to be able to actually improve in the future. Absolutely, absolutely. And then once you have that basis, um, so, you know, you were talking about like establishing that pattern and having that be a leverage for scale, right? And a leverage for improvement. So here's a here's a story from a um, giant company. So Cisco recently, uh, last three years, decided that they were going to pay attention to all the research on performance management, where, you know, you look at everybody's potential and their their goals for a year and you do, you know, make them fill out sheets and <laughs> review them and do their raises back on that. And the research says that that just completely doesn't work. So they ditched their performance management system and they said, you know what, we know what works is engagement. We know that employees who trust one another and who are excited about their work, they find it meaningful, they're engaged with the company, um, outperform the others. So what we're going to do is we're going to work on increasing engagement. And the way that they found that worked 
was they implemented a process for managers to have one-on-ones with every team member once a week using two specific questions. And because they had two specific questions and they had a system for doing those and they could measure whether or not the team leaders had those one-on-ones, they were able to see that, yes, indeed, when they had that one-on-one with those two questions, engagement went up, performance went up. So they scaled it and they said, okay, now if you're going to be a team leader, you have to do this at least 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. So they, they they now had a thing that they can put a performance metric around it, right? Meeting performance is job performance. And then they were able to roll it out and increase engagement across 15,000 teams globally yeah. because they had a well-designed meeting as the core of how that worked. Yeah, and it's fascinating. I mean, it, it's kind of one of those cases of when is when when something is so simple, like it appears so simple. You know, you appreciate how much work was put into getting those questions right. <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> absolutely. Like, I'm sure there were 150 questions that they went through to find the two that were most effective. So, you know, it's, it's really about getting 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 the getting the questions right and making the meeting actually quite simple. Um, mm-hmm. but, but simple in the right way. That's really going to drive the results that you want. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, obviously they had to keep it simple because hello, 15,000 yeah. teams, right? But, but that doesn't mean, you know, in any one particular environment, that's exactly the way you ought to do it, but it's sure, sure a useful place to start. Yeah, exactly. So let's let's uh, sneak in one more question around virtual teams because I think this is one thing that I see coming up a lot for companies who are distributed, who have people in multiple locations, and they're you know doing all this you know using some kind of technical platform. Any any best practices or anything that you've seen that has been particularly effective for teams that are in that format? Because I know that that is a particular challenge, and I know it's coming up. I think more and more for companies that are you know distributed. What are some things that they can do to improve their meetings? From a virtual when they're doing a virtual teams and virtual meetings. So when you go remote, you know the the core remains the same. If you don't understand, if you lack basic meeting education skills, and you don't have a well designed meeting in the first place, so you're clear why you're having it, what it's meant to produce, and you know how to get from point A to point B, you have to start there, right? Basic meeting design is um, the same requirement in a remote world as it is in an in-person world. But assuming you've got that, let's assume you've got a well-designed meeting you're, and you're trying to adapt it for a remote setting. So there the key is about expanding your understanding of technology. So there are over 200 companies that build software specifically for online meetings and, and meeting enablement. And only 20 or 50 of those are about are things like Zoom and Skype and whatnot that are about communication. Mm-hmm. Most of the rest of them are doing things like giving you technical platforms for doing agendas and minutes and whatnot, which is what our company does, mm-hmm. and technical platforms for things like online brainstorming or visual collaboration. So if you're using something like uh, Kanban boards or you know service mapping, right? There are technology platforms that allow you to do that with remote teams. So that's a really important thing. If you've got a primarily remote team, make sure you have enough technology to support that. And then the other one is that you need to, you will need to adapt things to push more of the work you're doing into writing. Mm -hmm. And that may mean more pre-work, but it also means that in the meeting, you want to have people writing together in real time while you're talking. Because first of all, that gets them, they're going to be multitasking. There's just no way around it, right? You can't like, <laughs> like hello, yeah. like, we're talking here. I'm like, hey, I want to kind of look up that template real quick, you know. So how do you get them multitasking on task? Yeah. 
And one of the ways you do that is you give them a job to do. So note taking, pulling up research, contributing ideas in writing, you know, all of that is one of those ways that you both get people in more deeply engaged, but also increase the richness of what you're creating together so that you've got a better institutional memory for what happened there. Yeah. So that kind of thing. So you gotta gotta broaden your technology library, get people multimodal engaged in what you're doing, and then keep the sessions shorter. Yeah, good suggestions. Sucks otherwise. <laughs> Just no fun. Yeah, I do. I find that uh, it's about two hours. As a, a, we can do them in two hour stints, and then you got to take a half hour break. It's just people fade. There's a technology overhead uh, fatigue that sets in. So I don't know. You know, I run eight hour meetings with the team in person, and and we can keep the energy pretty high. But about two hours online, uh, and then we got to take a break and come back to it. And what's fascinating about that? So we did a, a series of templates on doing strategic planning as a remote team. Mm-hmm. Right. And strategic planning isn't something you do in an hour and a half. (laughs) It's just not. So in that series of templates, what we did is we broke it into four two hour meetings. And what was really fascinating about that, I'm not sure I'll go back to doing full day in person strategic planning. (laughs) Because what happens is when you when you've got like, say, let's say you do your visioning as your first unit. You know, you create your big story and you do your vivid vision work and whatnot. And then you go away for three days. Well, what happens in that three days? Your whole understanding of that vision and what that means and all of the implications that you then build into the mission or the key results or whatever your whatever your thing is that you're doing is radically better. You know, it's radically better. So it takes a week instead of a day. But the result is is so much richer. Yeah, it is. Having done a lot of these uh, virtually now, it's just fascinating playing with the different kind of modes and the templates and how to facilitate an online versus in-person. I think it's a huge area that is yet to be explored or there's still a lot to be developed. You know, you get cultural differences, time zone differences, like all those become factors that you kind of go into your strategy for planning this. At least we're going to run out of time here. This has been uh, a great meeting, a great conversation. (laughs) (laughs) So we had a time bound, we had an intention, we had an agenda. Uh, If people want to find out more about you, about Lucy, meetings about the book what's the best way to get that information so our website is lucidmeetings.com and there is a wonder world of uh, templates and you know diagnostic surveys and all kinds of tools you can find there as well as access to the book and the um, our online school all of that's there and then if you are interested in talking specifically to me my website is jaleesekeith.com Great. I'll make sure that all of that is in the show notes so people can click there and get those things. Again, at least thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. A lot of great information here for all of our listeners. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been fun. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.